0: Welcome to The Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Sommerfeld, and today I'm calling this episode The Consumer Advocate. The auto industry can be daunting, it can be intimidating, and many of you feel lost and not infrequently ripped off. I have the perfect person to help sort all this. Georgini is the president of the APA. That's the Automobile Protection Association. It's a nonprofit that helps consumers in the car world. George will answer the biggest questions many are facing in light of huge shortages. Should I buy now? How are things going to change? He has advice for shoppers, tricks and traps to avoid, red flags to watch for. We'll talk about electric vehicles, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and if they're really the answer. I'll also ask George about the impact rising interest rates are having on vehicle buyers and what you can do to protect yourself on some of the less than clear contracts. All this and much more on The Driving Podcast. Giorgini, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you. We have so many consumer topics to tackle today.
1: It's nice to join you, Lorraine.
0: I want to start out first and foremost, the thing that most of us can see with our own eyes is that there's not a lot of stock on very many lots. How is the impact of these shortages impacting first sellers, and then buyers?
1: Uh, For the new car dealers, the shortages have been very good for their bottom lines. So they're selling vehicles with no discount. There's no haggling. The time uh, spent in the showroom to close a deal is dramatically shorter. If a person sees something that they like, or they're even told that something they like is available, they're going to sign right away. And the dealers are not carrying large inventory. So there's huge savings on what's called floor planning for them. So the financing of, you know, a hundred vehicles on their lot when it's 17 vehicles and they're all staying less than two weeks or three weeks before delivery to a customer is hugely beneficial to the dealer. It's hard on the salespeople. And uh, also their uh, management did not hire everybody back after COVID because of the shortages they're able to do in a way more with less less vehicles and also less staff this is hard on used car dealers because they rely on uh, lease returns and um, the supply of uh, vehicles that are traded in that new car dealers in the past wouldn't have wanted to bother uh, remarketing so that has dried up for them so it's much harder for them to get a vehicle and many of them are hoping that if they sell a vehicle you have something in trade they in fact we're seeing that in some cases, some dealers are almost requiring that you bring something in if they're going to sell you something.
0: I heard that yesterday from a reader. They said they found the car they wanted and someone said, we're not letting you buy it unless you bring us something else.
1: That's right. So we're we're seeing all you know new kind of weird conditions being added that didn't exist before. Now, this gets to the consumer. For the consumer, it's lose-lose. So you'll have less choice. You're paying more. On a new vehicle, the rebates have... They haven't completely disappeared, but they're much lower. The interest rate is likely to be higher for your financing. So, uh, the, the one perhaps positive is that if you have a used vehicle, a paid up used vehicle, or even if you're in the process of financing, paying off a used vehicle, there's a good chance it's worth quite a bit more in trade when you bring it in, if you're aware of it and are able to, you know, leverage the higher valuation.
0: That leads to my next question about leases. If you hold a lease right now, chances are really good that outlay, the residual value that you owe on it is very much less than what that vehicle is worth. How do consumers capitalize on that and what should they be aware of?
1: Well, not everybody is aware who's leasing that, in fact, uh, the vehicle if it's worth considerably more than the end value in the lease, you could pocket that difference if you do if you handle the, the transaction properly. And we've seen people make anywhere from $3,000 to $8,000 at the end of a lease. The eight grand is for something that's more popular. So like an SUV from say Toyota or Honda, where the original residual was conservative and the market for them right now is overheated. Uh, the other option, which is the obvious one, is you keep your lease vehicle because you don't have a plan B. So in that case, you're buying it out uh, with the knowledge that you're paying much less than the current market value for it.
0: With this being a seller's market and the dealer holding most of the cards in most cases, are we seeing any, um, I don't want to say slimy, but any slimy tactics? Are we seeing an increase in the way people are kind of getting beat up when they go to buy a car? I'm hearing a lot of it. I'm just wondering what the APA is hearing.
1: Uh, Lorraine, almost every day we receive a complaint by somebody that's been, uh, in a sense, hijacked. So they signed the deal at a certain price, the vehicle came in late, and they were told that the price has now increased and they have to eat it. Otherwise, um, they can get their deposit back, but they're going to have to line up at the back of somebody else's line at the new higher price. In many other areas of retailing, when you've signed uh, for a service, the Retailers bound by it by the price that they sign with you, you know that's a risk they take, but it seems not to be the case in the car business.
0: Is there any way, like I know a lot of people don't read their contracts, which I beg them to. I know there's also a lot of stuff knitted into them that's on purposely very dense. Um, do you know of any contracts where they say will honor this price?
1: Uh, yes, there are situations where the price will be protected. This is a conversation you have to have with the seller before you sign. So some of the car makers have become aware that they're basically breaking faith with their customers with these practices. And so they have established some guidelines for dealers. So, for example, in the case of a Hyundai order, if you go through a Hyundai credit app, that means Hyundai has some evidence that you were serious about buying their car. Um, they will protect your price, the price that went in on the the credit application at the time of the contract. You could choose not to finance through Hyundai when the vehicle arrives several months later, but your price is protected in the same model year. Other manufacturers have put in similar safeguards. The dealer, though, has to follow them and also has to be transparent with you, which isn't always the case. Um, In some cases, people told us that the price increases is due to an additional dealer add-on that didn't exist when they signed the original deal. Well, that's not a manufacturer price increase that was passed along. That's just somebody reaching into your pocket, basically to steal from you because they know you're vulnerable.
0: Now, I I look at contracts and I saw a really interesting one. And actually you and I are going to do a piece on this in the very near future. And dealers can add in all kinds of fees and things. And I beg people to go over it line by line and ask what it means. And I found some sales don't even know what half of them mean (laughs) they're just put there yes well
1: a sale a salesperson is interested in the front page of the contract they don't really live on the back page that's something that their manager will consult for them when a deal starts to go sideways so they're not there Uh, the contracts also vary by province and some of them are insanely draconian i mean in, in alberta you shouldn't even sign a sales agreement the way it's signed basically they could do anything to you they want even before COVID. Uh, some of the standard form agreements we saw dealers using were appalling but and the other issue is there's a vacuum at the level of the dealer regulators um, some of them uh, have come out and said a deal is a deal it's binding others um, have been a bit vague but as far as we know, none of them have actually, you know, called the industry to task, pulled them all in together, and said, "Listen, we're going to charge you if you start doing this because you're you're giving a bad impression to the industry."
0: I want to move over a little bit now to just something similar on the contract. If you've uh, contracted for a price, but I've noticed a lot of manufacturers, due to shortages, are are skipping some models in some model years. So if I contracted for a 2022 X and then it's three months later and I get told we're not producing those anymore. Are manufacturers automatically putting you into the next model year? And if so, will they honor the price that you signed for? Uh,
1: typically, uh, and in fact, some model years got sold out early or production ended early. Volkswagen is an example of 2022 production pretty much stopped in the spring. Um, when the 2023s come in, they come in at a new higher price your price protection, whatever that automaker offered, usually doesn't apply, and it's treated like a new deal. What you have is a place in line. That's your advantage. What we have to hope in those cases, because the APA, we've all often agreed that if it's impossible to obtain the vehicle, the dealer cannot be held to doing it, and that probably the, the it's a, di- it's a different vehicle, it's a different model here, even though it may be identical in features, and probably the dealer is correct in that they, they are able to uh, sell it to you at the new higher price point. However, what we wouldn't wanna see is somebody increasing their margin in that situation. In other words, if I gave you $500 off the MSRP, or if I sold it to you for full MSRP last time, I shouldn't pad the bill with additional charges that weren't on the, on the, on the contract. Okay,
0: so your deposit is basically assuring you a place in line, if not that specific
1: vehicle, if it no longer exists. Well, that's an interesting term you use, deposit. So that's what we're seeing too. In some cases, dealers are being more careful. They're not actually calling it an order. It's not money down toward your vehicle. It's just a deposit to hold your place in line. And in that case, the cards are usually on the table. Everybody knows that the terms of the financing could change, it could get worse, the interest rate could go up, the price could go up, but because it's a deposit, you can walk away. That's a more honorable way to do your business, and it is something that some dealers are working toward now. It's not something consumers are used to when, from buying a vehicle in the past.
0: We've seen the rise of EVs, it's been rapid, especially when the cost of fuel went up you know, so much over the past few months. And so many things are impacting the car industry that we never imagined, didn't know it could happen, and now they all seem to be happening all at the same time. So EVs are finally getting a a juice, which never happened before. Um, I call them the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to EVs, because the good, obviously, is out of the tailpipe. You know, the emissions, awesome. That's the way we have to go. The bad, I find, unfortunately... Um, electrifying all these massive pickup trucks. To to me, it's counterintuitive to what a greener car should be. So I have questions about that. And I I have opinions about that too, but that's not a surprise. And the ugly is what it takes to produce the batteries in these vehicles is significant. And it involves so many fragile areas of the planet. And I'm watching now the prices of cobalt and lithium are going through the roof. How is this going to impact these magical sales of EVs that everyone's so excited about.
1: Could this like get out of hand? The early EVs, if you look at models like from Mitsubishi or from Nissan Leaf, these were small uh, kind of frugal vehicles that were designed by engineers to consume, you know, the least possible resources, both in their manufacture and also in their operation. To a certain degree, they were limited by the technology available as well. Uh, Tesla changed all that. Their sales went through the roof. They were really a breakthrough vehicle and they did it by making a supercar. And what the industry has learned is that the public is fickle. It talks green, but what it really wants is an electric vehicle that is, uh, in other words, a vehicle that's cheap to run. So your gasoline or your energy cost is low, but the bigger the better. That's what's selling.
0: I I just, I
1: wonder if we were getting away
0: from the whole point of them and I, I get the appeal of these massive pickup trucks I'm also terrified of how much they weigh because they're very very heavy and I think it's going to have
1: an impact on
0: our roads
1: Oh Lorraine it's it's uh, a com- it's a long term down the road it's completely nuts uh, for one thing these vehicles are so much heavier as you say they'll probably be you know more um, impact on bridge structures and and similar uh, parts of the roadway. But more than that in collisions they're going to be uh, you know they're easily a thousand pounds heavier than uh, the vehicle they're replacing in many cases as a consequence they're going to um, uh, cause quite uh, considerable more damage to the struck vehicle and more risk to the occupants of the struck vehicle as well Uh, if you flood flood the market with vehicles that cost one-eighth to fuel of a gasoline vehicle And don't pay any road user taxes, the the excise tax on gasoline, there's no equivalent for electric vehicles. What are you going to get? Eventually, you're going to get a lot of much larger vehicles being driven longer distances, more contribution to sprawl. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. The only, I would say, silver lining, something nobody counted on, was teleworking is that uh, COVID, for a short while at least, has reduced the amount of traffic on the road at peak periods because so many people can work from home. But it's a complete failure of planning. It's a uh, completely loony thinking to believe that a five-seater vehicle with one person in it is going to solve congestion or a bad design of cities just because it's electrified.
0: I'm also terrified for other road users, pedestrians and cyclists, like the Lightning is, it looks like a big F-150, but it's 35% heavier. And that Hummer weighs 9,000 pounds. I know I should convert that to kilograms. I'm sorry. But I don't think other road users, when they see this vehicle coming at them, as you mentioned, even the smaller ones are about, you know, a thousand pounds heavier. And I think the chaos is going to be not just for these vehicles hitting each other, which is going to be substantial, but also for other people. And I I don't know why the auto industry doesn't take more of that into consideration, except with things we have, you know, pedestrian avoidance systems. If we bump you, we won't kill you. We all know they they work sporadically if they work at all. How come manufacturers... Don't seem to really care that much, or is it just drivers? I don't understand.
1: Well, the issue is already happening with conventional vehicles where the hoods have gotten so much higher. If you drive a, a pickup truck from twenty years ago, it's kind of teeny tiny compared to today. It looks almost friendly. In its day, it was a big vehicle, right? But uh, it, it has more glass area, or seems to. The hood isn't as high. You can see out of it. It seems shorter. It's definite. It's almost certainly lighter. If it was a standard model. So, um, I don't know what to say, except that this electrification of those vehicles is going to exaggerate a problem that already existed. And, um, what it's going to require is a bulking up of all the other vehicles, the insurance Institute who have just recently done tests at a higher speed with a bigger battering ram on the, to the side impact of of sedans are calling already for more structural improvements on vehicles, which tends to increase weight by the way, and also height. And um, I suspect that this will sort of just continue the bulking up in the arms race. I don't know where it ends. Our wish at the APA, we never predicted this, was that the vehicle fleet would grow smaller and lighter, uh, that it would be vehicles more in the size of, let's say a Honda Civic, which is already a fairly large vehicle or something like a VW Golf. They would have become the norm for the market. You know, Hyundai makes the Venue or the Kona. Um, Mazda makes some very good small SUVs. These are these are products that to us seem to be right sized for the market, particularly in Canada. But that's not the direction that we're taking.
0: Okay, we're going to take a short break here. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Lorraine Sommerfeld with my guest, Georgini, the president of the Automobile Protection Association. We'll be back in a moment. We are back with the Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Sommerfeld. I'm joined by Georgini of the APA. I have, I want to wander off course a little bit here because I think, well, I do like to talk about the actual drivers and not always just the vehicles. I'm running into some questions. I speak at a few seniors groups. And what seems to happen is I'll have a senior who has a perfectly good car that's 15 years old, let's say. Very low mileage on it. They've maintained it, babied it. I absolutely agree with them that this is, you know, could be their last car if they're imagining driving for another 10 or 15 years. And now what I'm seeing is the safety features in new vehicles could be helping them so much. And some of it is maybe getting a stiffer neck, maybe can't, you know, shoulder check as well, vision. And I don't mean people that are not licensed to drive. They, you know, that's totally fine. But there's so many safety features, front collision avoidance that could keep them longer driving more safely. How do I convince somebody of the value of these features?
1: I'm not sure you should, Lorraine, oddly enough, because it's a package deal. With those new safety features, you get a modern infotainment system with no buttons, just a touch screen, um, a lot more distracting interior, probably a vehicle that's harder to see out of in close quarters and a whole new set of like controls for the transmission and stuff that are not standardized the way they were on the older cars. So there is a bit of a trade-off and a confusion factor. And surveys have showed, in fact, that seniors and many people by there are not aware of the full suite of features on the vehicle and um, aren't, aren't necessarily able to optimize what the vehicle comes with. The one feature we're very very big believer in there's two things that seniors will love one is the backup camera and i think people are not aware that you could upgrade your vehicle to include that feature it is possible your current vehicle most people won't spend four or five hundred dollars on their current vehicle but it is possible to have it installed in one form or another and the second one is automatic emergency braking and i do agree with you um it's a, a really extraordinary feature. And in the more recent vehicles, the car makers are claiming that they will also recognize a cyclist or a pedestrian. And that is a you know a very typical collision situation for a senior. That's something that everybody nobody wants to be involved in. It's, it's a horrific experience, obviously for the person being struck, but in many cases also for the person doing the striking. So theoretically the newest vehicles We'll take evasive action in that situation.
0: And I understand that we don't use all the features on our vehicles. I know I don't. I should, but after 10 years of getting into a new one every week, you start to get a feel for the stuff that actually matters to you. I despise diving down through layers and layers of screens. I do not like great big tablet-sized screens because as you said, so distracting and that's such a problem on our roads. So I do get that if I'm used to the same car for 15 years and I can handle it, that I don't want to necessarily learn a whole new set of things. You can also usually, you can turn the display off. You can black out those screens so they're not as distracting. But I'm, I'm just, you know, when I'm talking to people, I'm, I'm torn between saying you need to spend some money if you have it, because I really think it could save your life because injuries are worse as we age. It's harder to come back from them. And I don't want to look like I'm shilling to make them go buy new cars, but I also want them to be safer. And you make, yeah, you make good points. I, I just, I think sometimes- I
1: mean, the, the overall record of the mid sized sedans that a senior drives is pretty decent. Yeah. They're not terrible. Yeah. And uh, if the vehicle's otherwise okay, then maybe you could, you could make the case for staying with it. But I, I do, I do agree that, uh, certainly some of the the new features i mean a car that beeps all the time a car with push push button start yeah is insanely confusing for a senior and there are many situations where people have told us they've left the engine running they couldn't hear it yeah and uh, they thought they pushed the button maybe in fact they did who knows uh but maybe they pushed it twice and both turned the car off and turned it back on without realizing so the newer cars have circuitry to recognize that situation when you leave the vehicle but i'm not sure that's uh, so safe in fact i'm convinced it's much less safe and some of the vehicles we're testing now don't even go on or off right the electric vehicles there's no on off per se it just recognizes when you're there and it perks up and i think there's there are some the physical key uh, did provide some kind of a secondary sort of mechanical fail-safe, uh, a more overt reminder of what actually you're doing with your car when you when you remove a key. And that's something that a senior would be used to for like several decades, and suddenly their new vehicle doesn't have it anymore. And and you could end up in with weird situations. Um, it's Unless you're buying a base car today, other than the base trim level, in most cases you are getting a push-button start. Oh, no. I just think it's a terrible invention and that's okay. I'm on the
0: record a thousand times and everyone yells at me, but that's okay. Um, I, we're watching interest rates shake up the, re- the, the homing industry. What kind of impact are they going to have on cars?
1: Uh, the car makers still have opportunities for new vehicles to um, offer you low or competitive rates. You might not have zero, stretching out to 84 months as frequently as you did before, You know, 1.9 might become 2.9 or 3.9. It's already happening. Um, But I do think that uh, if car makers needed to provide low interest rates, they would buy down the rate. They did it in the past when interest rates were much higher than today and they were able to do it. Um, I think the reason why you would see rates rise on new cars is because nobody has to try, given that there's enough product out there why would I give you an additional gift of two or three or four thousand dollars in an interest subsidy? You're going to buy anyway, you don't have much choice, and everything I'm making gets sold. So, could what's the best approach for someone
0: that wants a car loan? Do they just have to take what the dealer's offering? Is there still the option to talk to your bank or something? Because I want to segue this into forced financing, which has become crazy in the past six months 12 months maybe
1: you can explain a little bit what the force financing is So this is a tide sale where if you want to open the door to Aladdin's cave for your car which was advertised at a set price, you have to take the dealer financing at the higher dealer rate but they only tell you that in the showroom. it's not in the ad. The reason is the dealer gets a commission it could be a thousand dollars from the lender. What they'll tell you is listen, You don't have to worry. They're winking at you. You can just pay it back, like after a very short time. The lenders got wise to that. They were realizing that they were paying the dealer a commission because they're expecting to make money off you for the next seven years. But strangely, some of the customers were paying the cars off after three months. And so the lenders have now increased the eligibility requirement. You have to hold the vehicle for six months and in some cases up to a year. Before the dealers commission is called what's called vested or locked in that they don't, they won't give them a charge back if you leave as a, the problem with that is that you're actually paying interest. So some of the dealers who are sort of, I don't know if you can call them more ethical, but at least more logical in their reasoning or or less ruthless will tell you, look. If you really don't want to do it, I understand your interest rate penalty is going to be a few hundred dollars. I'm going to give it back to you as a break on the price of the vehicle. At the end of the day, you're going to end up in the same place as long as you pay off that loan early like you plan to. That's the best arrangement we can tell people. But it's basically at that point, uh, the dealers are sort of acting in a, uh, first of all, fraudulent way toward the customer if that rule isn't in the advertising and secondly, they're also, to a certain degree, I don't, they're finessing the bank. I mean, the lenders are big, they're big boys, the lenders, they know it's going on. So I won't call it cheating the bank, but they're definitely finessing them.
0: It seems like we're in upside down world. I go into a dealership, I have cash, like I've saved up, and I can't buy that car unless I take their financing. And this
1: is totally legal. No, it's not totally legal.
0: I called Onvic and they said they can't make you do anything.
1: Of course, it's not legal to add conditions that are not in the ad. Ombic may not be able to help you as an individual because they're, they can't supply you the car you went in for. They can charge the dealer with a de- deceptive advertising. You must have spoken to the wrong person. A tied sale, by the way, also falls under our competition laws. So there may be an issue there as well. It's absolutely something Ombic can can do something about. Now, they're not a car dealer themselves. They might not be able to find you the actual vehicle you wanted originally without the financing you didn't want, but uh, there are broad standards guiding business practices, a code of ethics. Envic can absolutely intervene against somebody who um, uh, is adding additional conditions that are not in their ad for the vehicle.
0: I had somebody tell me, um, a reader again, that They went in, same thing, it was a used car, they had the check, and they said, no, no, you have to finance it, but you can, if you cancel that financing within six months, and they took a thing of her Visa card, you know, the they ran it through and said, we will process this if you kill that loan before six months, because she was furious that she couldn't just buy the car, and now I hear people saying, basically, you go to a car dealer to buy a loan. That's how they're describing it. And that seems pretty fair if they're forcing the financing on you.
1: Well, Lorraine, you know, for the subprime buyer and the people with impaired credit, they've been going to car dealers to buy a loan for years. They're a cash cow for the dealer. What's new is that people who weren't used to being treated this way are now discovering it for the first time. And it's unfortunate, I mean, I don't know to with to what degree with the industry soiling its own nest currently, this will lead to changes. All of the provincial regulators for dealers don't, none of them, I haven't followed BC recently, but all of the others don't seem to be fully up to speed. Quebec's Consumer Protection Office issued a very, I would say, detailed list of guidelines saying that the price is the price. And they, even if it's a 2023, their position is it was foreseeable for the merchant that they might not get the vehicle it's not something impossible to know at this day and age it wasn't like a ship sinking which happened to volkswagen where you know a lot of american orders were canceled they don't consider it that kind of unforeseeable so their position is the price is a price but they're not really enforcing it most of the other dealer regulators haven't really uh, come up to speed even if they've taken you know they've offered guidance it's only partial And I don't think they've really looked for a robust engagement with dealers to say, listen, guys, you know, you really, this is a particularly circumstance, but you're going to create a lot of bad will with your customers. The people who are noticing by the way, are the car makers and they have decided several of them that, um, because of the behavior of the U S market, that they're not interested in having their new expensive future thinking EVs Uh, being sold with those techniques when you can walk into a Tesla dealer and just sign online and get the car. So they are actually in many cases now saying that for vehicles that are going to be in short supply, um, they may implement a program where they take the dealer out of the equation, where the price is one price for everybody. So there is no discounting, but that also means there's no, um, in theory, no crooked sales tactics. Oh, consumers would love this idea so much. <laughs> I think that it, they will, at least in the short term. I mean, when, when all is said and done, I'm not sure the car makers in the long run, if they're not regulated, will be any more honorable than car dealers. But there is one advantage right now in a period of shortages with them trying to build a halo around their electric product. Uh, this might be the door that allows them to do it. And... um you're absolutely right. It's far less stressful to know that you're paying the same price as everybody else for that model. Um, And uh, that, you know, the offer that you just saw on the screen doesn't have to be approved by somebody's manager after going back and forth three times and making you wait 45 minutes and trying to get more money out of you. So it's a very unpleasant thing. Uh, And the industry could have used this shortage to kind of themselves reform the practices in general. But I think what you have is a predominance of short-term thinking. So, uh, in the, in the long run for dealers, it will mean a, a certain loss of autonomy, at least on popular vehicles. And, uh, eventually their margins will be squeezed because the car makers have been doing that to them historically. It's part of the reason why they are so roguish in their behavior. It's that at one time a dealer could make 15, 17% on a vehicle that they were retailing, but that doesn't exist anymore. Or Sorry, it came back during COVID, but prior to that, it didn't really exist anymore.
0: I want to ask you one final question before we go. Um, It might take too much to answer. Do you believe Canada needs lemon laws? I think we're seeing more problems with some cars across every model. And I'm wondering if those numbers are going to start creeping up on what we traditionally know as a lemon. And we have like the state's kind of patchwork consumer uh,
1: support for that. But do you think we need a Lemon Law? Of course we need a Lemon Law. Lorraine, we're seeing vehicles that people have owned two weeks that don't run, and they wait for, they're wait they waiting four months for the vehicle to get running. These are vehicles that you would want to have a payment of $800 or more a month. In many cases, they're EVs. The ID4 from VW is an example, and even some VW gas products in their first year on the market. A person's paying 800 a month to drive a Hyundai Elantra from Enterprise. Where is the logic in that? At some point, the thing ain't running. I should be allowed to return defective goods for a refund or a replacement.
0: So which entity is this? Is this Transport Canada? Is the, I know the, the dealers aren't going to do it. But.
1: <laughs> well, the dealers are fighting it, but that's silly. Because the way the lemon laws were written in the States to keep the dealers on side was the dealer doesn't have to take, take the hit on the buyback. It's the manufacturer, which is where the responsibility should be. But Canadian auto dealer associations, instead of fighting for a lemon law, which would help their members and who are stuck with a really bad car, are in the carmaker's pockets. They're basically puppets for the carmakers and have successfully prevented um, new legislation in that, of that nature if a leading province were to come out with this uh, ontario or perhaps quebec it will be so popular that i suspect other governments will then have the courage to try and do something about it as well and definitely the future is showing us that the net, that because of the, the the speed of the technical transition with the vehicle and the problem with supply chains we're seeing more lemons this year and the trend in general for the next few years uh, is going to be that some new vehicles will be, have so much electronics on them that when they go south, they'll prove to be very difficult to fix.
0: Folks, you heard it right there. We need a lemon law. We need it fast. Thank you, Giorgini, so much. This has been very informative, and I appreciate you taking the time. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in to the Driving Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this and other great driving, Driving.ca podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite apps. For Lorraine Sommerfeld, we'll see you next time.